0: I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And our focus today will be on verses 17 to 34. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. These little capsules here may not look like much, but what the Holy Spirit shows us in 1 Corinthians 11 is that this is deadly, serious business. This table, this meal, what this bread and this cup symbolize is deadly serious business. And in the church in Corinth, back then, they got it all wrong. And from our standpoint now, we can be glad they got it all wrong because now we have the benefit of learning from their errors so that we can avoid making the same mistakes. And in the providence of God, the Holy Spirit has made that possible for us since we have this inspired word we have in 1 Corinthians 11 some of the clearest instruction on how we are to go about partaking in this meal and how we are to not partake in this meal. And what we need to see is that this meal is not so much about doing. It's not so much about taking a cup and drinking or eating bread. It's about discerning What we are doing when we take the bread and the cup. Discerning what we are doing. Far too many just go about the doing. Let's check the box. We celebrate the Lord's Supper quarterly or monthly or maybe every Sunday. We've done that. Okay. Isn't Jesus pleased? Uh, But did you discern what you were doing when you did it? Your intentions today matter. Your motives in gathering around this table matter. And I want to show you, before you dig in at the Lord's table, before you take and eat or take and drink, discern whether or not your intentions The intentions of your heart. Discern whether or not the intentions of your heart are consistent with the intentions of the one who set the table by dying on the cross in your place. We don't set this table, the Lord Jesus does. And he didn't set it today. He set it 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood and gave his life for sinners on the cross. His intentions were driven by selflessness and humility and obedience. What are your intentions today? That's what we're going to see. So let's begin by reading verses 17 to 22. Verses 17 to 22. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. What we have in these verses is an indictment. A sobering indictment of this church. And we today need to hear the indictment as well. Just look at what Paul's saying. He says, when you all gather it's doing more harm than it is good. It's not for the better, it's for the worse. In other words, it would be better for y'all not together at all than to be doing what you are doing. Woo! Stern words, sobering words to be sure. Especially when we feel them aimed at us. Does our gathering as Tabernacle Baptist Church of Raleigh do more good than harm? See, we tend to think it's just a matter of being here and doing this. It's a matter of making sure we have all the elements. There needs to be a sermon Based on the Bible, there needs to be worshipful music. There needs to be a time of prayer. We need to have these things and then it's good, right? Not so fast. Not so fast. While it's good and right for me to stand behind the Word of God and herald forth the good news of Jesus Christ out of His Word, This is also dangerous because if what I say is not consistent with the Word of God and if the intentions of my heart are not aimed at pleasing my master, well then it would have been better for me not to ever stand in the pulpit today. In fact, I'm bringing myself into more danger and more judgment If I do preach falsehood or from false motives, and we can think, surely it's good and right for us to be sitting in a pew today. Think of how many people don't go to church anymore. Surely God is pleased by this. Uh, Not so fast. What are you thinking about while you're sitting there? You want to be entertained? Want some humor? thinking about plans for later in the day? Are you distracted? Or are you engaged with your heart and your mind, ready to listen to the Word of God so that you might be transformed by the Word of God? Check your motives. Check your intentions. Because it would have been better for you to not even be here than to profane the holy things of God. These are holy things, sacred things that we're doing. And especially when it comes to this table. This table shows us the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Be careful when you approach. Do not eat or drink lightly. It would be better if you didn't take it at all than to abuse it. Because in that case, you're only drinking and eating God's judgment on you. Be careful about your intentions and your motives. And Paul says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And as we've been studying 1 Corinthians, we've seen some of these divisions. And he says, to some extent I believe it because there have to be differences in your midst in order to know those Who have God's approval and those who do not. This is not a message you will hear very often in the church today that there must be division. That's not in question. Why? Because truth will always be contested, there will always be those who reject the truth. Some of them will claim to be Christians. Some of them will be there every Sunday. Some of them will support the church with their tithes and offerings. There have to be divisions. That's not a question. I know every time I stand up and proclaim the truth as God has made the truth known in His Word, there will be some who reject it outright. They don't want to hear the truth. They want what their tickling ears want. Every time, that's, that's par for the course, Paul's saying. This is how God proves his people, by their genuineness. As gold or any other metal needs to be tested, so also God's people need to be tested to show whether or not you are genuine, to show whether or not I am genuine, or am I a counterfeit preacher, or are you a counterfeit Christian? A hard word, Yes. There have to be differences. But Paul's saying the issue is not whether or not there are divisions or differences. That's going to happen. The issue is what are you dividing over? What is it that's separating you? And in Corinth, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1, they're dividing over personalities. Oh, I'm on Paul's team. I'm on a Paulus's team. I'm with Cephas, Peter. No, I belong to Jesus. I'm higher than all you guys. Personalities and preferences, that's what they're dividing over. And we see that they're dividing along socioeconomic lines. There are the haves and the have nots. And it's obvious when they gather who the haves are. You're dividing along the wrong lines. That's the indictment. And What's going on here? Are people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? How could that possibly happen? Here's what's happening. In the ancient world at this time, parties were an especially big deal. They're a big deal now, but they were an especially big deal because back then they didn't have weekends. They didn't have a five-day work week. Holidays were what they had. And so holidays are times when people can eat meat, they can celebrate, they can relax. Everybody looks forward to this. And holidays are also occasions when the rich, the upper echelon, the elite, can show just how much they have by hosting lavish parties. It's not that different now, really. Back then, this is really how you show what you've been given. Also back then, many people in the lower classes didn't have their own homes. They lived in cramped apartments. It was only the very wealthy who had homes. And so when the early Christians were gathering, they were gathering in homes. They were gathering with whoever had the space to accommodate the church. Because they didn't have a separate church building at this time. So, they're gathering people's homes, they're commemorating the Lord's Supper, but then they're allowing their culture to bleed into the church, so that now their celebration of the Lord's Supper is starting to look like just another pagan festival, where the rich are showing off and the poor are feeling inferior. And Paul says, this should not be, you're not really celebrating the Lord's Supper when that happens. Your, your gatherings are doing more harm than good. Just stop. Just stop doing that altogether and stop calling it the Lord's Supper. If you want to have a party, if you want to get drunk, do it at home. Don't abuse the church of God. Don't despise God's people by abusing what is sacred and holy, the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. How dare you? How dare we? Now, when we take the Lord's Supper today, I haven't done a strict calculation, but I think everyone has the same capsule in hand. I think everyone has the exact same amount. I mean, I can hold it up to the light. Um, and, and when we do it the old fashioned way and we distribute, everyone gets the same little wafer, same little cup. Equal distribution. There's no way someone could have more, right? And trust me, no one's gonna get drunk off this for a couple reasons. It's non alcoholic, and I mean, look at how much that is. So, probably we can just gloss over these words, right? This doesn't really apply to us. We just move on. Wrong. No, it is written for us and to us as well because. While this specific cultural problem may not be apparent now, the principle does apply in this sense. The sin of favoritism is an ever-present danger for the Lord's church. The sin of favoritism is an ever-present danger in the Lord's church. It's what James writes of In the second chapter of his letter, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Just admit it. We evaluate people based on what they're wearing. Do they look like us or not? We evaluate people based on if they have the same cultural norms as us. Do they speak the same way as us? Do they have tattoos? Do they have their hair done in a specific way? And we all have a bias in a certain direction. Favoritism. In the church, do we... Privilege those who give the most, even if we don't know how much they give, we just kind of know that's a really prominent person out in the world. So they must be a prominent person in the church. Or that person doesn't have a very significant job in the world, so maybe they don't need a significant job in the church. Favoritism, it creeps into the church. Be constantly vigilant against it. We don't get to choose whom the Holy Spirit redeems, and brings about the new birth in, do we? That's not up to me. It's not up to you. And we're told that the Holy Spirit works in people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so the church should reflect that. Are you ready for the church to reflect that diversity? Are you okay with that? Or do you look for a church that fits your general socioeconomic level. People that dress the way you dress and think the way you think. Be honest. Favoritism. But there's a deeper problem in Corinth and to some extent in any church. And it's a cousin, a close cousin to favoritism. And it's this. Selfishness. There is always selfishness among God's people, and we must be vigilant against it. And here's what it looks like. It looks like people who think that the church exists to serve them. Oh, great! You got food prepared for me. Oh, okay. I'll dive in. I'm ready. Oh, you've got this ministry going on. Oh, I want. I want that. That's that fits my need. You've got to. Group of people who fit my age range and my needs, great. We think the church is here for us, and we forget that we worship and follow a Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. And so I ask you today, if you believe you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ shed on the cross, if you believe you have been born again by the Holy Spirit, if you believe you are a Christian, how are you serving the body of Christ, His church? Are you serving anyone? If so, how? Examine your hearts. Examine your lives. Be honest before God. Are you here to get something? Only, I hope you're getting something. But are you also ready to give something? To give your spiritual gift. To invest your talent. Whether you have one or ten to invest yourself and how God has made you or not? Be honest. How are you serving? That's the indictment. Don't come to the table, don't take the elements without asking that question and asking about the extent to which selfishness is present in your heart. Well, in verses 23 to 26, we have the correction. The correction. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The correction Paul says, This is not a meal for us to design as we please. He says, I handed on to you, I passed on to you what I received from the Lord. This goes straight back to Jesus, okay? Straight back to the source. And on the night he was betrayed, right when he knew the agony and the suffering he was going to endure in your place and my place, he picked up some bread and broke it, and gave thanks, and said, this is my body. Keep doing this to remember this night, to remember what I am doing for you. Don't just do it. Discern what you're doing. Discern what this is. Discern my presence in your midst. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood in a new covenant, a covenant for forgiveness of sins? And so often we think that being a Christian, that being an upstanding member of a church, is is about what we do. It's about what we do. Well, it matters what we do. That's not the determining factor. The determining factor is this. Do you know who you are because of what Jesus did for you? It's not about what Dane Hadley did or what you did. It's about what he did. That's what determines your inclusion in the body of Christ. Just think of Matthew 10. Jesus sends the 12 disciples out to cast out demons, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Notice he sends out the 12. That means Judas. Judas is out there casting out demons and proclaiming the good news. And yet, as, as Jesus will say in Matthew 7, there are some who will say, Lord, Lord, look at what we did. Surely we, we prove it ourselves. Jesus, look at the sermons I preached. Look at my attendance. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've given. And then he says, to those people, I will have to say the scariest words away from me. I never knew you. It's not just about what you do. It's about what you are and who you are because of what he has done. And this meal reminds us of that. All you can do is receive it. You can't prepare it. You can't improve on it. You can't think your way toward it. You just receive it as a gift. And you say, thank you, Jesus. That's it. That's what this meal is about. Check your intentions. And then in verses 27 to 34, we have a warning. A warning. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning More discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions." Tread lightly. This is deadly, serious business. That's not just my opinion about it. This is the word of God. And in particular, what do we need to be discerning? He says, discern the body. Discern the body. What does that mean? Well, of course it means discern These elements symbolize that this is the body and blood of Christ, but it also means discern the body of Christ with your brothers and sisters, with other believers. Do you discern Jesus in our midst? Do you believe Jesus himself is present, that Jesus himself is watching right now? Here's what we're to do. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, don't miss the unless, unless, of course, you fail the test. Is Jesus present in you? And how do you know if he's present in you? You know Jesus is present in you. You discern his body within when you are leaning on what he has done for you and nothing else. When you know that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you stand before God as we all must, you know that you cannot point to anything you have ever done or said to justify your presence in heaven. Save one thing the blood of Jesus shed on your behalf. That's it. Do you trust that there is nothing that you can do or say to earn God's approval or favor? It must be given to you. You believe that? Well, then you're discerning the body of Christ in you. But don't stop there. We must also discern the body of Christ without in this room. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ consists of hands and feet. Eyes and ears. The more visible parts and the less visible parts. The parts we talk about and the parts we don't talk about. Do you discern Christ in your brothers and sisters? Or is, are you fine? It's just me and Jesus. I'm good. Don't need anybody or anything. Or do you say, no, I've been saved and brought into a community. I belong to God's people. Therefore, I have a duty to God's people. Don't take this cup or eat this bread without discerning your duty to the body within, to Jesus. Are you being obedient to Jesus in your own personal life? But also don't take it without discerning your duty to the body without. Are you contributing your gift? Are you hiding it? Are you sitting on it? Do you love the people of God enough? Warts and all, yes, warts and all. Do you love the people of God enough to step up, to say, Lord, here I am. Speak, for your servant is listening. I want to help. If I need to take out the garbage, I'll take out the garbage. If I need to trim bushes, I'll trim bushes. If I need to serve in the nursery, I'll serve in the nursery. If I need to teach a class, I'll teach a class. If you want me to serve on a mission trip, I'll serve on a mission trip. Just speak, I'm ready. What do you want me to do? I will not abuse or take for granted the body of Christ. Are those intentions in your heart or not? Be careful. Don't eat judgment on yourself or drink judgment on yourself. It'd be better just to put the capsule aside and not take it if you're not discerning in your heart, if you're not examining yourself. I'm serious. Don't eat it, don't drink it until you have discerned the body of Christ in you and discerned the body of Christ present in this room. It's no joke. Some people are getting sick. Some people are dying. That's God's judgment on them. But we know God's judgment can be far more deadly and subtle than that. Sometimes God just lets us have our selfishness to ourselves and we will reap what we have sown. Do you believe that? So as we approach the table, challenge every single one of us to do business with God. To search your life, search your heart. Not just to to think about it, but think where is there an area of my life where I am not completely obedient to Jesus? I know I'm holding this back. I don't want him to have this. He can have everything else. Just not this, not this. Don't touch this. I I don't want to do that. Is it someone you need to forgive? Is is it a, a prompting that you have felt over and over, to to say something, to do something, and you keep putting it off and putting it off, you just don't want to do it? Examine your heart. Seek his forgiveness. Repent and live differently. Repent and live differently. What is that in your life? I have no authority to Pardon you. I'm not a priest. But I can point you to a Savior who not only has the authority to forgive you, he has the willingness to forgive you. And I have his word on the subject that all those who come to him, he will never drive away. All those who come to him, all those who approach his table with humility, with selflessness, with a desire to be obedient, he will never drive you away. So yes, think carefully, examine, test, but come, if the Spirit is prompting you to take this and you believe this is the body and blood of Christ, take it and enjoy his forgiveness. He will never drive you away if you come to him. We're going to take a few moments before we partake to look in, to reflect, to do business with God.